Well, how many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. I already feel like we've had ourselves some church today, don't you? Amen. <laughs> so thank you so much for welcoming me and uh, my lovely wife, Loretto. As you know, we've been here many, many times throughout the years. I think it was probably in uh, 1992, I think it was, I first met Pastor Mike. He came to teach at a Bible college that was uh, being hosted in our church in Sweden. And uh, the Lord hooked us up from that point, and we came uh, here and uh, have been coming here ever since for uh, since that time. So I guess that makes it what uh, was how, how long? Twenty seven years. Wow, twenty seven years now. And I, I have I have ministered in a lot of different locations that this church has had throughout those years. And in high school and gymnasiums where you'd set up and you would tear down. A few times in the youth auditorium when you had multiple services going on there, and then this and this auditorium for several times. So it's been a blessing to be a part of your journey, and I thank you for being a part of our journey throughout so many years, uh, and uh, and thank you for the support that you guys have given us as well because we've had your support as missionaries. As a matter of fact, I may have told you this before, I don't know, but this church, I don't know for how long, maybe well over a decade, this church was the largest financially supporting church of our ministry overseas of all the ch churches in the entire nation. So thank you, Foothill Family Church, and thank you, Pastor Mike and Beth, for your support throughout all these years. I've, I've kind of joked about this. Uh, it's always a, a great honor to be able to be asked to come and be in a church when the pastor's gone, so I receive it as a great honor. Uh, but I haven't seen Pastor Mike and, and Beth in, uh, in years now because they, 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 they go off to Hawaii every time we come in here. But I've seen pictures at home, and they just look as a as young and as vibrant as they did 27 years ago. I mean, is lying wrong? I gotta, okay, so anyway, no, I'm just, I'm just joking. They, they, they look great, so uh, they're watching right now. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay, and let's just watch them kind of get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Okay, no, they're such a, such a blessing. We're so blessed to have them in our life, and uh, so I pray they have a great time with their beach ministry today. Praise the Lord. All right. Uh, before we get started, I want to say uh, we have our family here with us this morning. We're so happy to have our family with us. The Martinez's are sitting here in the second row. Uh, and, uh, and of course, my, my best friend is with us. I have a few books here that I've actually put together uh, for your convenience. They're on the back table there. Uh, and uh, there are a few. This one here is just called Tabernacles. It's about how to tabernacle with God. Uh, one of the things, one of the feasts of the Lord is called the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, the Bible even tells us that when we, go, when we get into the millennial kingdom, we're still going to be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. So it must be pretty important that God would want us to remember and to know about his dwelling. So who would like to have this book this morning? You have to, probably the sister in the blue right behind you, Loretta. Her hand was the first one was up. Maybe I was looking over that direction. Then this one here, this one is uh, it's a book called Fire. And this is about the Feast of Pentecost, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The very first thing that the Lord Jesus told the disciples to do uh, right after he uh, ascended into heaven, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait and celebrate the Feast of uh, Pentecost, which is what this one's all about. It's about the, the fire of the Holy Ghost and, uh, and what God has done and what God will continue to do in your life. Anybody? I see a hand back there with the hat on. There we go. She's got it. Come on up here, sister. And this last one here, this one is called Scarlet Thread. Uh, and how many know that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony? Amen. So this is, this is about the, the blood. We just kind of follow the trail of blood. What's that? He's already got his hand Which one? That one over there. Okay. I, I didn't even announce that one yet. I wasn't going to keep that one for myself. Uh, but, uh, but we'll let him have that. That's, uh, that is just, just following the trail of blood throughout, the, uh, throughout all the Old Testament, all the New Testament. Uh, talks a little bit about Passover, but mainly just about how God 
marks us by his blood. They're all on the back table there. Uh, they're, um, they're, they're $10 a piece. We're self-publishing these things. We're believing God that a publisher will, will believe in what we're doing and pick that up. If anybody knows a publisher you'd like to drop our name to, I would appreciate that. We're trying to move these things out into the water body of Messiah. So uh, be blessed by those, and thank you again. Sorry? Yes, and um, uh, if uh, we, we've started a, a Bible, an online Bible school um, back a, a year ago, and if anybody would like more information about that, you can go online uh, to um, um, AmericanInstitute.org, and you can find out information there. You can actually take a degree course, or you can just take an auditing class. Uh, someone mentioned uh, last night or this morning that they would like to know more about, uh, about the Hebrew language. If you go to our church website, aclr.org, um, I actually have, you'll find all the archives of our teachings, my sermon series, and I have a, a class I taught. I think it was, a, was maybe a seven, eight-week class on just about the, uh, the Hebrew alphabet and the vowels and things like that, and that's free of charge. Uh, it's not available yet. Yeah, but it will be. Okay, so, yes, thank you for your help from the front row. All right, so, uh, what's that? You were in that class, that's right. Did you pass? No, you didn't, okay. You know, she tried to be the teacher's pet. She, you know, she slipped me notes and brought me apples and things, but it didn't work because I'm a hard taskmaster and you got to know these things. All right. So, no, it's, a, again, our pleasure. Thank you so much for letting us be here with you this morning. Um, we're going to open the Word of God today. We're going to go to the book of Romans, uh, the book of Romans chapter 1. Uh, and these are verses we know very well. We're going to talk about something that may seem very, very, very elementary, very basic to us. Uh, we're going to talk about the gospel today. And the gospel is a powerful, powerful thing. How many know that? So the gospel is what must be preached in all the world uh, before the end will, will come. We all know that. And so the value, the importance of preaching the gospel is huge. But we're going to look at the gospel today, maybe from a little bit different angle. But before we get into the details of that, let's go ahead and, and look here in Romans chapter 1, verse 15 and 17. The scripture says this, it says, For as much as was, is within me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed. Everybody say, not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Did you say power? So the gospel is what? It's power to everyone who believes, to the, to, to the Greek, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. And it goes on to say here, uh, to all those who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the, to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That comes out of the book of, of Habakkuk. So the gospel is power. The gospel is able to transform our life. How many have had the gospel transform your life? Amen? The gospel came into our life, and it transformed our life. The apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that if there's something we need to really come into a position of in our world today is that we are not ashamed to declare Jesus to anybody. Thank you for your enthusiasm. We're not ashamed to declare Jesus to anybody. It doesn't matter where we're at. Listen, the Apostle Paul walked into some very hostile situations, but no matter where he was at, he was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because in it is power. The Bible actually tells us in the 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 20, it says this. It says, the kingdom, of, the kingdom is not in word, but it's in power. The Bible also says, the Apostle Paul says, I did not desire to come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and, and power. There is power 
in the gospel. There's power in what we believe. There's power in what we do. There's power in what we preach and what we say. So every time we talk about the Lord Jesus, we should expect a demonstration of, of power. And power typically does not just sneak up on you. When God does something, uh, he, 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 he's loud in what he does. You know, whenever, whenever God came down the mountain, it was it was lightning and it was, it was thunder, so much so the people ran away. When the Holy Ghost came down in the upper room at the Feast of Pentecost, the Bible says that it was noised abroad, that people outside the building could hear what's going on. When the power of God shows up, things in your life change. And we should expect that every time we share the gospel with somebody, that there is demonstrations of the Spirit and of power. Because the gospel is power not just to the church, but to anyone who would believe. Now, when I say the gospel, and we talk about the power of the gospel, sometimes we need to fall back and to qualify what we're talking about. Because if I was to ask people in this room this morning to tell me what the gospel is, if I brought you up here to the platform and said, okay, tell us what the gospel is. And I put you in, I had you come up here and you were, and you you said what the gospel was and nobody else could hear you and I tape recorded you and then the next person, the next person, the next person, probably most of us would share the same thing. And that is that the gospel is the death, the story of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? And we would know that to be true. But however, as I've been studying the idea of the gospel, I found the gospel is a much bigger topic than just the death, burial, and resurrection. Now I say just, that is obviously the, the culmination of everything the gospel is all about. But the gospel is a big, big thing. The gospel is actually more than just the death, burial, and the resurrection. And if we are, we, when we talk about, would we say that we're a full gospel church here? Yeah? And typically, typically when we say full gospel, what we mean is we believe in the gifts of the Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But so then for us, the, the gospel is the death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus, the descending of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. That's the full gospel. But what if the gospel is even more than that? If the gospel is even more than that, then maybe we haven't been preaching the fullness of the gospel to the extent we need to preach the gospel so that the true power, the fullness of God's power, shows up and manifests itself on the scene. So let's follow this idea of the gospel because we're going to focus on the gospel. Tonight we're going to talking about, we'll be talking about the atonement but in relationship to uh, the gospel. So let's go here to, uh, to Matthew's, or Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Pastor Chip, what time do we normally end here? All right, okay. All right, so, you know, I'm, I'm not, we, we don't apologize for the move of the Holy Ghost this morning. We're so happy for that. If, if I don't finish this uh, this morning, we'll just kind of roll it over into tonight as well. Is that okay? All right, okay. So look what it says, tells us here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Now, how many know you can't get much earlier than in a gospel than the first chapter, Right? It's kind of hard. You don't have Mark's gospel chapter zero, right? You can't get much earlier than this. And look what the Bible says. Mark's gospel chapter one, verse 14 and 15. It says this. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to, the, to Galilee preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in what? The gospel. So Jesus shows up, Mark chapter 1, begins to preach, and he tells these people, repent and believe 
in the gospel. Now, let's look at a couple of things here. Number one, at this point, he doesn't have any disciples yet. Okay? He's by himself. But he's preaching to people. So he's not even preaching to his disciples. He's preaching to just the people that are in Galilee. And he says, repent and believe the gospel. Now, notice this. He doesn't even tell them what the gospel is. So the people who hear him must know already what the gospel is. For, them to be, for him to be able to make a statement like this without explaining the statement. Now, get this. At this point, has he been telling anybody yet that he is the Messiah? Has he told anybody yet he's going to die? Has he declared yet he's going to be raised from the dead? So then how is he preaching the gospel? How can he be preaching the gospel when he hasn't told anybody he is the Messiah, he's going to die, and he's going to be raised from the dead? Is it possible the gospel has a chapter before the death, burial, and resurrection that we haven't actually preached very much? Is it, was there something already in the earth that was expected by the people so that he could actually show up and just declare outright, believe the gospel, and everybody would get excited and believe the gospel? The gospel was already anticipated. The gospel was something that was on its way. In the Greek, you would say evangelium. This is the way we get our word evangelical from, the word for gospel. But guess what? You might already have guessed this. The word gospel is not unique to the New Testament. You know the word gospel is mentioned time and time and time again in what we call the Old Testament? It's the Hebrew word basar. And the word basar means the gospel. It means good news. So the people of Israel were already expecting that someday the gospel was going to arrive. That's why the prophet Isaiah could say this. When he said, he said that, the, the, that those who bring the, the good news of the gospel, that their feet are going to be shod with the preparation of peace. Everybody understood one day the gospel was going to arrive, and Jesus shows up right here declaring what the gospel is. This is important to understand this. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, no question is really ever understood without understanding the assumptions behind the question itself. And I'd like to expand that to say a statement. No statement is truly ever understood unless we understand the assumptions behind the statement. So when Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel without explaining the gospel, there was an assumption among the people as to what the gospel was. And again, it's before we knew all the other stuff he was going to do. So the gospel then becomes a much bigger story than just the death, burial, and resurrection. Now, we know the death, burial, and resurrection is the climax, the zenith, the pinnacle of the gospel narrative, but there's something that existed before that part. So if we're truly a preaching a full gospel, we're preaching not only the death, burial, and resurrection and the ascension, but we're also preaching what happened and existed before all that as well. And maybe when we preach the fullness of the gospel, we experience then the fullness of the power that was contained in that particular Message. Can I get an amen from somebody? And this is important because Jesus says, now look at this. Go back to that verse there in, in Mark's gospel. It says here that Jesus went about, hi Scott, let's see. There's a verse there, we go back to Mark chapter 1, verse number 14. It says this, and he did, and he was in the gospel of what? The kingdom of God. There's an aspect of the gospel that is referred to specifically as 
preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So the gospel of the kingdom is a portion of the gospel that was in existence before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So there's a portion of the gospel that has yet been fully preached, I believe, because, and it's important because everything hangs upon this part of the gospel. Look here what it says in uh, Matthew's gospel, chapter number 24. We all know these verses of scripture. I quoted them in part for you just a few moments ago. The scripture says this here in uh, Matthew 24, verse number 14. It says, and this gospel of what? Of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to the nations. Then the end shall come. So the, so the gospel that has to be preached throughout the world is the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel that Jesus was preaching when he showed up before anybody knew about the death, burial, and resurrection. So this is a big story. It's a story that's, that's, that's been preached since the time of Isaiah, 700 years before the Messiah ever showed up. And this aspect of the gospel of the kingdom has very much to do with the ruling and the reign of the king among his people. You see, the king is going to die on a hill and defeat death, hell, and the grave, and he's going to bring a culmination, a completion to this whole gospel story. But there is an aspect of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, that I find that we have been severely lacking in the overall wider body of Messiah. Because you see, the gospel of the kingdom has to do with the fact that there is a king. We all believe that he is King Jesus. We sang about this morning. But when you have a king, what do you also have when you have a king? You have the rule of a king. And when you have the rule of a king, you have the rules of the kingdom that govern the kingdom. That's why Jesus said repeatedly, how many parables did he say, tell when he said, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he would tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who did this. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who did this. He's coming and he's declaring the gospel of the kingdom, telling us what it's like when the king actually rules and reigns in his kingdom. And this becomes what, we would, what I would call the lordship of Jesus. We all know that Jesus is our savior, amen? And, and we know that, and he, that is what he did for us on the cross. But you understand the Bible says that he is both Lord and savior, right? He's both Lord and savior. If he's not Lord and savior, then he's neither one. He can't just be savior without also being Lord. And the lordship of Jesus has very much to do with his idea of the king being in his kingdom and the king ruling and reigning in his kingdom and his people in his kingdom following the rules of the kingdom that exalt the king and exalt his kingdom. Everybody wants a savior. Very few people want a lord. And we're living in a day and age now to where what we have done is we've, we've entered into a little bit of subliminal replacement theology. Now, replacement theology in a brighter concept is where we teach that the church has replaced Israel. And I know we don't believe that here. But we also, we've adopted replacement theology in a lot of different ways in our life without, it's kind of subliminal in a way. We, 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 allow, pass, uh, we allow Easter to, re, to replace Passover, for example. We're, are we Bible people? Are we word people? It's Passover, isn't it? But we take a, we take a tradition and we'll allow it to, to supplant, and that's a subliminal form 
of replacement theology in a way. But if we're not careful, what happens is we allow the Savior of Jesus to replace the Lord Jesus. And now it seems like the greatest sin you can commit in the body of Messiah in the world today is to judge somebody for something. Have you noticed that? As soon as you declare this is the way things should be, all of a sudden now you are in a position, why are you judging me? Jesus loves me regardless of what I do. And what happens is we, we have so elevated the Savior aspect of Jesus that we have forgotten that he is also Lord. He is also King in his kingdom. And as a king in his kingdom, that's why it's called the gospel of the kingdom. See, the kingdom must have a king. And the king rules among his people. And he has a people that are subject unto him in a worshipful adoration. And we understand him as both Lord and Savior. He is both, both king and Messiah. He is, he is both a, a loving father and an all-consuming fire. He is both of those things together. And although many people may not see that as being a, a big issue, it becomes a big issue when we have forgotten the fact that we have someone that is our king. You know, I, um, let's, go, let's go to another verse of Scripture, and then, I'll, then I'll kind of comment on that. So let's go to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 9. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 2 through 6. So we're going to look at a few things here where the apostles are out actually preaching this gospel of the kingdom. In verse number 2, Chapter 9. Everybody say Luke 9. I want you to pay attention to Luke chapter 9 because we're going to go to Luke 18 in a few moments and it's going to really contrast a few things here and kind of show you how things have, uh, have shifted for the apostles. So Luke, starting in verse number 2 of chapter 9, it says, And he sent them out to preach what? The kingdom of God. The disciples have been sent out to preach the kingdom of God. And what are they going to, how, when they're preaching the kingdom, what are they doing? They are to heal the sick. He said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor script, nor bread, nor money, neither have take two coats apiece. And in whatever house you enter into, abide there and hence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when you go out into the city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And he departed and went throughout the towns, preaching what? Preaching the what? Preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now remember, these guys are not born again yet. They've not been not born again. They're not filled with the Holy Ghost yet. They're still out there healing people and setting people free, and they're preaching the gospel, but the gospel they're preaching has not yet the gospel about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. How many know you, that nobody at this point can believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? So no, they can't preach that yet because it hasn't happened, but, and even the apostles themselves don't really understand the fullness of this. Yet, preaching the gospel of the kingdom in the earth still allowed them to see people healed in their bodies. Now, this is a big deal because they're seeing the, 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 the people, the dead raised, demons fleeing, the, the people being healed before there's a death, burial, and resurrection. So they're seeing the manifestation of the kingdom already happening because they've understood there is a king and his kingdom is here. Now, how much more does it happen once we have the death, burial, and resurrection? But they're already doing it now. It's already happening now. 
The kingdom is being preached. The gospel of the kingdom is being preached now, and everybody's being healed, and the demons are fleeing, and they're having prosperity. He said, don't even take a script. Don't take anything from you. I'm going to meet your needs. So prosperity was there, and healing was there, and deliverance was there as they're preaching the gospel because the gospel is the power of God. And they're preaching the dominion of Jesus in the earth. And I don't know about you, but I think we need to preach Jesus' dominion in our earth today. And you know what? When people stand up behind pulpits and lecterns in political offices around the world and they try to quote scripture to us and try to justify what they do, ladies and gentlemen, there needs to come a roar from the pulpits of America declaring that Jesus is king and his law is set. His word is true. And don't take his words out of context to justify your actions. You see, if we're not careful, what happens is we find ourselves letting go of the king's kingdom for the sake of trying to be relevant to our society. But we need to make our society relevant to the kingdom by taking the kingdom and invading the society with the preaching and the doctrine of the king. And the king has rules that he works by. And you all know that. Give, and what happens? It'll be given to you. And the reason why this is important is because what's happened is this idea of this replacing the king, the lordship of Jesus, with just the savior of Jesus. So what happens now is people say, well, you know what? Because I, don't, I, I can live however I want to live, and I don't have to worry about the Lord trying to judge me because Jesus loves whatever. He loves me all the time. He's my savior. Have you noticed that? It's all about the Savior. It's all about the love. It's all about the sacrifice. It's all about the resurrection. And praise God, we need, we don't have, we have, without that, we have nothing. But we've forgotten the fact that before all that happened, there was a gospel of the kingdom that was being preached. To the point, and I've mentioned this congregation before, to the point that people now are telling us, you know what? It doesn't matter what you do. Because whatever you do, Jesus has already forgiven your sins. Just go ahead and live how you want to live. I was in Dallas, Texas. Dallas is a very conservative place, but I was in Dallas, Texas, and I was talking to this one pastor, and he said, he said, Woo, he said, you know what, Jesus loves us. And I said, Yes, amen. And he was all excited. And he said, But guess what? God's, God's, God loves, God loves us so much that his, his grace and mercy have covered us so much. He said, This revelation is sweeping the city. And he and I said, Well, that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. And he said, Yes, so much so that several pastors have come out of the closet as being gay now, and it's just so wonderful and so good. You see, because Jesus is so much the Savior, we've forgotten that he's also a Lord. See, he's both and, not either or. And as both and, yes, he saves, and yes, he forgives, and yes, he delivers, but at the same time, he has rules you got to follow. If you want to walk in his kingdom, you got to keep the rules of his kingdom. I mean, I had this one guy, listen to this one guy saying, he said, he said, the Ten Commandments are just so much bondage, so much bondage. And I thought, and I thought, okay, see, so how is it bondage? Let me, think, let me think about this for a minute. Let me see if I can get this straight. Uh, okay, so let's just say these are the rules of the kingdom, right? So is it bondage that your children would obey you? Is it, is it, is it bondage that your, your spouse would be faithful to you? Is it bondage that, that, that you would uh, be able to live your life without fear of somebody murdering you? Is there bondage? It sounds to me like freedom somewhere. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, think about this. If, if all the world did was follow the, 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 the rules of the king, imagine this. Nobody has to lock their house anymore or their car anymore because nobody steals anything. Transform, transform the whole world by just doing one rule of the king. No more stealing. Can you imagine how your insurance policies would change from something like that? 
What, what, what if we did two? Okay, no more, no more stealing and no more murder. How does that transform the world? Or how about this? No more rebellion among children. Can you imagine what would happen to the populations in our penal uh, institutions if there was no more stealing and no more murder happening? And yeah, I listen to people say this, on, typically on 4th of July, we are the freest nation in the world. And one day I decided to look up and see how many laws we have in America. You know how many hundreds of thousands of laws we have, and we are free, yet for some reason, when the king says, here are 10 rules, we say, that's bondage. Now, how are you the freest nation in the world when you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of laws, yet you're still the freest nation in the world, yet you cannot follow the king of kings, the lord of lords, and follow 10 simple rules that the king gives without seeing it as bondage? If your perspective on those is daddy's trying to cramp my style, then you show you're just a rebellious teenager. That's all you are. Daddy's trying to get you from one place of glory to the next. He's just giving you rules on how to get from one place of glory to the next without, without stubbing your toe and not getting messed up. You see... I decided that one thing would really be really cool is, um, is we, we wanted to put the Ten Commandments at, at our state capitol, put them on the capitol grounds to where people would go by and they would see what I like to call the Word of God. The Ten Commandments, saying that this, 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 this is, this is God giving us his heart to put it at our capitol steps. And we had our, our governor signing into laws that it was possible to do that. So our church put up the lion's share of the finances to, to, to build to, to quarry out of the mountains of Montana a 6,000-pound piece of granite and to etch the Ten Commandments on it and to set it in at our capital steps, or at our capital. But you know what's amazing is? We, we, were, we, had to, we had to endure persecution from believers. Okay, Why? Well, because the rules of the king really aren't that important anymore, you see, because we've so replaced that particular aspect of who he is. We've forgotten that he has things that he wants us to do. Not, we're not doing these things for salvation. We do these things because, I mean, do you, well, this is probably a bad question, but do you follow the speed limit? Okay, <laughs> may, may, okay that's a bad question. But, 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 you, but you know that you follow rules at where, where you're at. And you do that because you want, don't want to, you want to, you're living in this society, this is what you do in this society, and in the kingdom there are things that the king requires of us. So, so I get a call from the senator and he says, the senator says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, uh, we're going to put the foundation stone in under the cover of night so nobody can see it, and we're going to do it months ahead of time and just let it sit there. So that's what they do. So this is our free country, everybody. This is the, free, the freest country in the world that you live in. So we put the foundation stone in, and it sits there for however many months. And then I get a call one night, late at night. It felt really weird. The senator called up, and he said, okay, Scott. He said, at 7 o'clock in the morning, before anybody is up, before anybody is moving, before anybody's in their office, we're going to bring a crane in and lower, and we're going to set the Ten Commandments on the stone. So I said, praise God. So, I, so I'm there at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm the only minister that's there, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the senator's with me, and they're lowering it down, and they set it in place. Can I have my first picture, please? This is a picture of the, um, of the Ten Commandments that we put at the state capitol steps. There it is. So we set the Word of God there. We thought, yes! And, uh, and this is a picture of me. This actually, it actually happened. We, word did get out in the next picture. 
And this next picture is a picture of me just touching the, um, kind of wiping some of this off. This was the front page of our, our state newspaper uh, the next morning that, uh, that we established the word of God. We put the rules of the kingdom right there on, this, on the Capitol grounds. 23 hours later, this was the next picture. A man in Oklahoma got in his car. He drove six hours to our city, rolled up the lawn of the state capitol. We have a big hill. He jumps, jumps it, and as he jumps it, he's ram, about to ram it with his car, and as he's about to ram it, he shouts, Freedom! As he busts the Ten Commandments to, the, to what they were. Now I'm thinking, okay, who thinks that is freedom? Who, who would believe something like that? Well, they arrest the guy, of course, and they let him go. They let him go because they said that he was crazy. Yet you know what? You know what's interesting about crazy people? This is what's interesting about crazy people. Before he did that, he took out a GoFundMe account to replace his car that he was about to destroy. So obviously he was smart enough to know, okay, whenever I smash this 6,000 piece of granite, my car's going to be destroyed, so I'm going to take out a GoFundMe account to replace my car. And of course, money comes pouring in for this guy, doesn't it? And he shouts, freedom. So talking to him, they said, why did you do this? And he said, well, because Lucifer told me to do it. I was sitting in my house in, in Oklahoma, and Lucifer spoke to me and said, go and destroy it. And I thought, okay, now let's, let's just kind of analyze this thing. Just kind of unpack this a little bit. So the devil is telling this man to go and knock down the Ten Commandments. So why then are our pastors saying, rip it off the wall if it's there? Why do we have so much vitriol coming from the body of Messiah against these Ten Commandments? It seems like if, if the devil's telling people to destroy them, maybe we should be telling them to do the opposite, put them up. So what happens? So we said, all right, we're going to do it again. So we're going to put it up again. And this time, you guys ever, there's a movie, a movie out called uh, God's Not Dead. You guys heard of that movie before? Okay, well, all those movies were filmed in, in Little Rock. We have one of the, our state capital is the only capital that actually has a replica of, of the U.S. Capitol building. That's our capital. It's downtown in Little Rock. So, so they filmed these things in, in Little Rock, and they were there at the same time. They found out about, they paid for the next one to, to be put up. So I was like, man, what am I going to do? So what our church is, we bought the, um, what are they called? The bollards that go around it to make sure that nobody can ram it again. All right, so we built all the bollards that go around it. So, so this next picture, okay. Now, the guy, now that's, that's the new one that's, be, that's there. The guy at the podium is a senator. The guy beside him is a congressman. And the guy beside him is what we call an angry Pastor Scott. <laughs> <laughs> can you see that? Does that, does that? does that look like a happy face, anyone? Now, now, you would think I would be happy because we're putting the number two up there, the number, the number two uh, um, monument up, but I'm not happy. You know why I'm not happy is because what you cannot see in the picture is a group to my left, and it is the satanic church. And the high priests of the satanic church, they're all jeering and screaming. And so I'm sitting there trying to compose myself because we've got like 50 news cameras running, you know, grinding away at us. And I thought, okay, let's ask ourselves a question. Why is the Satanist so upset about this? 
You know, it seems to me if, if, the, if the Satanists are upset about the Word of God, maybe the church should be, should be very excited and pro the Word of God. Now, the Ten Commandments are not any more inspired than any other piece of Scripture. They're all divinely inspired. But what makes this unique is this. This is the only thing that God chose to write with his own hand. Everything else ever written, God inspired men to write. But this, the Bible says, the hand of God came out of heaven and God's own finger wrote this himself. And the Holy Spirit's now written that upon our hearts. So at the end of the day, our job is to rejoice in the word of God because the king has a kingdom and you and I are part of that kingdom and his kingdom is to manifest and rule and reign and you and I are to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. And that means that we, in a loving, compassionate manner, take what he has given us and we give it to a very wayward and confused world and unfortunately a very confused many times body of Messiah. Now we just saw there in Luke chapter number nine, that they went out preaching the gospel of the kingdom and they were healing everywhere. Look, what's, now let's go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and verse 31 through 34. I'm about to close here. 31 through 34. We'll pick the rest of this up uh, this evening and we'll bring in uh, the healing into this as well. Luke 18 verse 31 through 34. So remember, we looked at Luke 9, they're out preaching the gospel and they're healing everywhere. Luke 18, 31 to 34, it says, Then he took the twelve aside and said unto them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and, they, and he will be mocked, and he will be insulted and spit upon, and they will scourge him. And kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. This is what we would know today as the gospel. And the next verse says, And they understood how much? None. So what they were preaching in Luke 9 was not the death, burial, and resurrection. Yet, at the same time, people were being healed and delivered and set free and prospered. They didn't understand this whole story of the great culmination of the age, the great epoch of the kingdom. Yet there is a fullness of the gospel that needs to be preached. And because we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection as we should, that's the only way man is saved. Yet we cannot forget to talk about what was changing the world during the life of the apostles. And that was they were preaching a gospel that the king had come to his kingdom and it was time for the king to begin to rule in the life of his, of his people. We, that we've been told this for many years, that we are a free moral agent, and we can do as we choose. You ever heard that before? I don't believe that for a second. The moment that I gave my life to Jesus, I became bought with a price. I no longer have right to the decisions I make. My life now is hid in God, and whatever he says is how I live. I don't get to decide what I do anymore. And when, the moment we believe that, yeah, you, yes, Lord, you are the king and you are the savior, but I'm going to take what you say. I'm going to modify that to my reality. I'm going to get my truth and do it differently. What we have done is we have said, I'm going to let the savior replace the king. You see, even getting born again, the Bible does not say you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth Jesus as your savior. It says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is 
Lord. You see, just to get into this kingdom, you've got to acknowledge the fact that he is Lord, that he is king. We acknowledge the presence of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And that gospel of the kingdom ushers us into the fullness of the gospel where we recognize the king has died for our sins and the king defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he brought us then into that fullness of the gospel. The full gospel is both king and savior, savior and king. It's where he rules and reigns not only in the future, but he rules and reigns right now. And he rules and reigns through his people. Can you say amen this morning? Amen. We're going to continue this tonight, go continue in the kingdom and talk about how the healing and the atonement that's in the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. So if you have any issues uh, in, your, in, your, in your body, in your mind, in your emotions tonight, I encourage you to be here in the house. We're going to pray for people. We're going to continue to deal with this, uh, this subject. So before we go, let's bow our heads and close our eyes, please. Father, we're so grateful to be in your house this morning. We thank you, Lord God. And we just pray, Lord God, that the King, you, Lord God, move and do your way, have your will in this kingdom, Father. Manifest your presence, Father, in and through and among us, your people. If there's anybody here this morning that says, you know what, I never have made Jesus the Lord of my life. He's, I've never confessed him as Lord. I, I believe everything that he did on the cross was for me, and I know that without that I am not saved, but I've never made him the Lord of my life, and I want to do that today. If there's anybody here in the house that says, Pastor, pray for me. I want to make that decision this morning. It is the greatest decision that could ever be made, making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Is there anybody here in the house that wants to pray that prayer with me? You may all be, be uh, part of the family already. Amen. So we are. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so very much. Amen. Pastor. Yeah. There we go. Thank you, Pastor Scott. Always a blessing to have you with us, sir. Uh, guys, I did make a mistake this morning. We always give you a chance to give towards Pastor Scott and the things that God is doing through his ministry. Uh, so before we leave today, uh, there is a table in the back that Pastor Scott has all his stuff out. Go buy.